Okay, so uh, Fox Sports Network, uh, they got a guy on there by the name of Jason Whitlock. We all know who Jason Whitlock is. He's He seems to be the target of a lot of uh, internet, the, <laughs> a lot of black people on the internet, man. A lot of pro-blacks, they like to come at Jason Whitlock, usually because of his weight. But he's very opinionated in the things that he likes to talk about. Uh, and a lot of, and he's come out and he is against the NFL kneeling anthem. He thinks that it's stupid. He thinks it's a waste of time. Now, I wouldn't necessarily call it stupid because I've had people come out and uh, call me a quote unquote coon and all this other bullshit. But, you know, I, I tend to ignore it. But he he's been, you know, in the fire. <laughs> He's really, he's really, really been through the ringer, man. So I, I you know, I, I definitely want to applaud him for, um, for being a free thinker and not being a part of this idea of groupthink. But at times, he he tends to uh, say things that anger people, and I, I quite frankly don't think that he cares. Uh, but I did see this article where it says that uh, Jason Whitlock says NFL players are protesting to build their brand and social media. Uh, this is on Newsweek.com. Uh, It says Fox Sports anchor Jason Woodlock has claimed that NFL players are protesting purely to build their social media brands. Now, it it helps because you have a lot of people who follow anything that's a hot a hot topic issue, such as race, social injustice. You'll notice that a lot of people will they'll make comments on it, and then they get they I mean they basically get followers. Now, I'm not sure what kind of brand. Mr. Whitlock may be talking about um, because I think since Colin Kaepernick has been out of the league and it's just been confirmed that, and I, I, I know I knew this, I mean, it kind of made sense, but with him being out of the league, Colin Kaepernick was still being paid under the table to promote because Nike's a liberal conglomerate. If you guys don't know that, but he's being paid basically to express his opinions on police brutality. That's why, and I believe he signed that deal in 2011. And I think when he signed that deal, I think the Niners went to the Super Bowl in 2013. So at that point, after that year, or after that Super Bowl run, that's when he started making a lot of these statements. So um, it says here that speaking on the Tucker Carlson show on Wednesday night, Whitlock said he never – well, Whitlock said the ever-growing presence of social media was detrimental to the professionals of sports. I think it's killing sports because of all the athletes are 1,000 addicted to social media, which is true. I think that um, I, I think that a lot of athletes, such as a LeBron James, Kevin Durant, you know, well, I don't, I don't really see Kevin Durant tweeting a lot about anything that's like any social injustices. I mean, besides, there was that episode that they did on some some show with Kerry Champion and LeBron James and Kevin Durant in the backseat. And they called Donald Trump a bum, you know, blah, 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 whatever. And I don't really see Kevin Durant talking much about it, but LeBron t- seems to make a big, he talks a lot about it. Uh, the entire national anthem controversy is driven by social media. These guys are addicted to retweets, likes, mentions, and followers. And so again, so there are no real substance to what they are doing than trying to build their social media brand. Um, you know, there may be some truth to that. I, I noticed that LeBron James tends to get off on being known as some sort of a social justice warrior. And, and by all means, he's done a lot of great things for, uh, you know, for his community. He's done a lot of great things for people. 
um, who who are who are less fortunate than himself. Um, and amidst all this, but it, it, which I think it kind of covers up the fact that like, you know people love to bring up the idea of the Jordan versus LeBron argument, but now you have people, and I think LeBron this helps LeBron cushion the blow that when people attack him for not being better than Jordan, he can't outdo Jordan as far as getting championships and rings. Like this, this, that discussion has been out the window. I think since LeBron James had that epic meltdown with the heat against that in that Mav series, that was, that was like the worst, that was the worst NBA game ever played by an all time great that I've ever seen in my life. That was, that was terrible, man. LeBron played like straight trash. So I think now with LeBron being so socially conscious and maybe he's doing and maybe he is doing the side of the goodness of his heart. But you notice that LeBron, when people speak on him, on his on his abilities as a player, I mean, it's unheralded. It's unheralded. But when we're comparing him to Jordan, well, then it's like, well, Jordan never did this for the black community or Jordan said that Republicans buy sneakers, too. Or, you know, people like to mask that they don't like they, they like to bring everything off the court onto the court. Um, and I'm going on tangents. I'm sorry. I'm just kind of throwing in some commentary here and there. Uh, it sounds great when they get the, Oh, we're trying to raise awareness about police brutality. They're trying to raise awareness about their social media brand. And that's not what it's really doing. Since Colin Kaepernick opted to kneel rather than stand for the national anthem as an act of a silent protest against the social media, against social and racial injustice, injustice in 2016, a number of colleagues have followed in his example. Earlier this month, quarterback Aaron Rodgers became the latest player to wade in the political debate, and he urged the NFL to ignore the attacks coming from Donald Trump. Trump has repeatedly lambasted the NFL for protesting and accusing them of disrespecting the flag and the country. Outside the NFL sphere, Steph Curry and LeBron James have also been outspoken critics of Donald Trump's policies while they're being weighted with their pro. While hold on, what's this say? It keeps scrolling up. While, while throwing their weight behind the protests. When asked about Carlson, whether rich and famous athletes would be better off taking a step away from social media, Whitlock insisted they couldn't bring themselves to do it because their brains had been hacked, quote-unquote. Remarkably, he added that the issue was particularly serious for black people and black athletes. They're so addicted to this thing that we are metaphorically and theoretically call black Twitter and being approved over black Twitter, whether or not there was something or whether or not there was some Twitter lynch mob agreeing or disagreeing with what you say, he said. Take a LeBron James. He's got 40 million Twitter followers. He's worth more than half a billion dollars and he's addicted to social media. This is this, you know, of all these young people and look to all of us in the social in the media that aren't young and aren't completely addicted to social media. Our brains have been hacked. Woodlock's comics came a few came a few hours after LeBron James revealed he had started to speaking out on social media on issues and becoming frustrated with some of his peers reluctant to do so, who were reluctant to do so. The new Los Angeles Lakers is uh, damn. The new Los Angeles Lakers is well aware of being outspoken and has tarnished his image in the eyes of many and insisted that he is underrated by criticism. I want the satisfaction, he explained on a debut episode of his new show, The Shop. Not for myself, but for everybody else. He raised off rappers Snoop Dogg, Tupac, Jay-Z, Biggie, and now getting an opportunity to be an inspiration around the world of what these kids are looking up to. 
And for me, I just can't sit back and say shit. When I <laughs> when a lot of my peers didn't say shit, it didn't feel right. Well, <clears throat> again, you know, I mean, Whitlock brings up some points. And I'm sorry for the uh, for the reading <laughs> mishaps. Uh, Whitlock brings up a good point, though. I think that, again, if these athletes are going to speak out on these issues, because I- I'm starting to conclude right now that if athletes want to speak out on these issues regarding Donald Trump and raise awareness for uh, police brutality, which is something that has been a part of American history for a, a very long time, I hope you know, like LeBron James is doing this on his own format. And I feel like when Whitlock made that comment about being validated on black Twitter, um, because number one, black Twitter is a real thing. Like it's, it's real, <laughs> believe it or not. And I'm telling you, you say anything that goes against the grain of black Twitter, you know, you will have a lot of mentions, a lot of mentions and a lot of uh, memes with the tap dancing raccoons and uh, you know, the, you know, house Negro this, House Negro that, white, you know, white, you know, the white man's black boy, you know, which is all kinds of, it doesn't make any sense to me, man. But Jason Woodlock reminds me of that uncle that like you see at a family reunion and he's, he's very, he's, he's fairly successful, you know, but he's always been alone. So whenever he sees things that his nephews and nieces are doing or his younger cousins are doing, he'll comment on it because he's not used to anything. He's used to old tradition. Uh, and he'll comment on it. He's kind of that uncle that, that nobody really likes at the family reunion. And, you know, he he gets his chitlins to go, gets his cornbread to go. You know, he just leave. You know, he just, he's on the other side of the spectrum. But I hope that LeBron James is as informed on these issues. I hope that these athletes are informed on policy and issues because I haven't heard LeBron James speak on anything regarding policy. I haven't heard really Colin Kaepernick speak on anything regarding policy. It's just that we tend to act out on our feelings as a, as a race. And we focus on, we focus on what we want white people to do versus what we want, what we have to do and how we can conduct ourselves as a race. And I mean, it, it, it sounds crazy, but this man has a following of, he has 40 million Twitter followers. And you want to influence, what do you want to influence people to do, man? Because I think as of right now, your specialty as of right now, is to play basketball. And until you want to go into politics, which I, I have a feeling that LeBron James is going to run for president someday. I really believe that it's going to happen. I mean, we got Kanye West who's running in 2024. But I just hope that you're well-informed and you know the people that you're influencing, that they that they act out. If they're going to act out, they're acting out for the right reason and that they're informed. You should inform the masses of statistics, Give us some facts. Give us some numbers. Give us something that we can use that they can research. Tell them that they need to be reading. Like rather than just making inflammatory comments about Donald Trump, man, look, Trump is just a guy in office. And racism has existed long before Trump ever got here. So we can't continue to blame Donald Trump. You know, I could I could give two shits about Donald Trump at this point. Because newsflash, as, as of right now, with the way the Democratic Party is going to be looking in 2020, he's probably going to win again. So we have another what, 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 two years to figure out what the hell we're going to do and how we're going to fix this. So, (laughs) I mean, 
the ball's in your court, man. The ball's always been on LeBron's court, you know, even no matter where he goes. But I, I do think that there's a level, at least what I see from LeBron James, I do think I, I see he gets off a little bit on being the center of attention, being in the middle of everything, you know, and you start to see it more and more now. LeBron James is just a big kid on a, on a platform. And he's like, wow, I really got this kind of power. Like I can, I can change, I can influence. LeBron James likes, he he has a, a very boisterous personality. I feel like I think behind the scenes and he's very calculated and he's very smart. Now keep in mind, he's, he, he is also a corporate asset for Nike as is Colin Kaepernick. So I guarantee you if Nike wasn't liberal and if Nike was like if they were pro-Trump, if Nike told LeBron James, hey, all this stuff you're talking about, Donald Trump, stop it. He'd stop. Believe me. Believe me. He's getting paid to play. He's getting paid. He's getting, he's getting, yeah, like I said, he's getting paid to to make these comments, to make these inflammatory comments about Donald Trump calling him a bum and this and that. And then just recently, I think Trump said something back to him or he he responded to him and LeBron James was like, oh, oh, he's attacking me. Like, no, man, like you started this. You know, you wanted that smoke with Trump, man. I think you wanted to smoke with Trump because Trump failed to mention him, but he mentioned Steph Curry. That's what I think. I think he wants to be talked about. LeBron James wants to be the topic of discussion. That's just my analysis. Now I could be wrong, but still, like I, I'm, I've, I've never been against. And let, me, and let me just be clear here: I've never been against the kneeling for the anthem. I've never been against that. I just think that there's got to be another way. You know, we got to understand. We don't like we we hold no stake in the NFL. The NFL is trying to appease the the masses of the, like those who. Uh, who watch, who are actually conservative Caucasian people. So it shouldn't bother us that they're getting upset. We should stop asking why are white people getting upset with this? We know this is what a protest is all about. If you guys didn't know, I mean, a protest is meant to, uh, it's meant to offend people. It's meant to make people feel uncomfortable. It's meant to really a protest is meant to divide. <laughs> and we're saying Donald Trump is dividing the country. Well, this protest is dividing people on how they feel about the national anthem. If you really think about it. So, again, I, I find Jason Woodlock to be pretty interesting as an individual. Um, like I said, uh, he's a man who thinks on his own. He, you know, I, I, Did he vote for Trump? I don't know. But we can clearly see that he's not for the antics of what the NFL and the NBA are doing. Uh, I think that he's taking shots at LeBron because he thinks that LeBron doesn't know what he's talking about. So, you know, I mean, good luck to him. He, he, and, uh, and I've never really, he's never really had, I've never heard him talk any like great. He's never had great sports takes. He really, he really likes to go after athletes who are kneeling for the anthem or not doing what, athletes should be doing in his eyes so i mean you know respect to the i mean, you know i respect all brothers man especially in his field of uh in his field but i mean he's not wrong but like i said he, he he's the modern day what some people will call him a modern day uncle ruckus that's just that's just the fact of the matter so i just i just think it's funny that 
he's going back and forth or he's 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 the apple of the eye of black Twitter or not apple of the eye. I mean, he's, he's a target. I mean, you should look at some of the things that people say after he tweets, man, like they constantly go after his weight. And yeah, he he's he, he's a big dude, man. I'm not sure if he can, you know, maybe if he lost the weight, they could stop that. But at this point, I don't think he cares. He's out in L.A. I think he lives in California now. And he was, or I believe he was a writer for the Kansas City Star, but and he, but he never spoke out like this. You know, he's kind of like he's very old and traditional, and he's quick. He's quick to go against the grain. You know, I, me, I'm not, but I just question a lot of the things that a lot of the, the motives of what people are kind of like, kind of like what he does. But I wouldn't go so far as to tell them that like you're an athlete, you're being paid for this and that. I would never do that. You know, I think if you have a platform and you want to use that platform, do it. But just keep in mind that you have a family, okay? You should be you should at least collect at least collect the money that you've earned, and if you feel the need to, you can raise awareness, you know, elsewhere. You know, you don't want to shoot yourself in the foot because pretty soon, what's going to happen in the NFL is if these players continue to kneel, they're going to lose their jobs. That's the next step. So when I made that comment on Facebook. You know, I I mean, my mom said something to me about that, but she didn't really understand where I was coming from, because that's what's coming next. Is that Donald Trump wants these people to stand for the flag? And I think and I'm pretty sure if they're being paid or or they can stay in the tunnel like Malcolm Jenkins does, they can just stand in the tunnel. That's fine. But to openly, blatantly, quote unquote, disrespect the American flag, you're going to turn your fans against you. They're going to stop. But they're going to stop paying to come to the games and that's going to cost the owners money. And if the players or sorry, and if the owners don't nip this in the bud, like they're supposed to as owners, I'm, I'm, and I'm just speaking from, from the outside looking at the, and if the owners don't pay heed to this, well, then Donald Trump is going to be able to levy taxes on them, high taxes. He's going to be, I'm telling you, he's going to make their lives a living hell, man. So they don't have a choice. These are businessmen. And the way that Donald Trump is probably putting it to him is, look, you better tell these dudes to kneel or, yeah, you got some taxes. Yeah, all those funds you guys got, I'm cutting them, all of them. He can do that. So they're stuck They're you know, they're their hands behind their back and, you know, their hands are tied. They, have, they don't know what to do. So now, you know, and I believe now the NFL policy is, is that every player that takes a knee, I think, yeah, if you take a knee, every player is going to get fined now. So what if you're a player, you're making millions, right? But you got a guy who's on the practice squad, 15 grand per, that's crazy. So then you're going to divide the locker rooms. Then when that happens, the next step, if this continues, then players are going to lose their jobs. And I don't think the players want to lose their jobs. But anyways, yeah, that's my take on Jason Whitlock and uh, versus the uh, online black Twitter. Because uh, it's never going to stop, man. You can't win, Jay- Mr. Whitlock. I'm sorry. So the late, great uh, Aretha Franklin passed away a couple weeks ago. Uh, my mother was a huge fan of Aretha Franklin. I've never really listened to her music. The only song that I know from Aretha Franklin is uh, Respect. That's the only song that I know. Uh, it was a sad. It was very sad. I, my mom, you know, like I said, listened to uh, Magic One Hundred Seven Point Three, and I just think that um, she. 
I haven't seen the death that was mourned like this since I think Michael Jackson. This is my opinion. But um, anyways, she um, she had a uh, a funeral. Well, obviously, everyone has a funeral. But uh, she had a funeral, and a lot, there were a lot of people that were that were in attendance. So at the funeral, um, Ariana Grande decided that she was going to come out and she was going to sing at the funeral. And it's just so ironic, man, that as she's singing, uh, she's in front of, I mean, number one, there's a bishop. And, and, and the outfit that she wore revealed, you know, she's got nice legs, revealed her legs a little bit. And as she's performing, she is uh, <laughs> right in front of Bill Clinton, <laughs> Jesse Jackson. Okay. She's in front of all these dudes, man, who, who are known super freaks. They're, they're freakazoids for sure. And um, they're just sitting there just watching, you know, as, as, as she's singing, they're looking, Bill Clinton's probably looking at Jesse Jackson and Jesse Jackson's looking back at him. They're smirking at each other. And I can only imagine what Bill Clinton was saying. He's probably just like, <laughs> looks at Jesse Jackson. He just says, man, I tell you, they just don't make them like they used to. Look, look, look at her. Look at her legs, man. Look at that. <laughs> Jesse Jackson is looking at him like, hey, hey, hey relax, man. Relax, man. Uh, you know, I think uh, I might want to chill. I, I'm chill. I'm good. I'm good. All right. I'm just looking. I hear there was out there somewhere. I don't know where, but God damn, look at her. <laughs> and she's out there singing. So um, after all that went down, there were the, the, the pastor, the bishop, was uh put his arm around her and he made like a weird like a really weird joke about Ariana Grande's name sounding as though it was a, something on the Taco Bell menu it was really trash it's just a terrible joke man i hate pastors who try to be funny and they're really not funny like i i, I really do they're not they try to make j- little jokes man i'm like i right, just stop just give me the word and i'll get the hell on all right so while that was going down he groped Ariana Grande's, uh, what would that be? So if I was standing up on stage, he grabbed her, he groped her right breast, but like wrapped his arm around her and just started just squeezing. Like you could tell and Ariana Grande is kind of like frozen. It's like she can't move. And I think you know, she's a nice girl. So she was probably like, uh, you know, if I, if I try to fight this guy off, I'm going to look like a complete ass at Aretha Franklin's funeral. So since then, everybody on Twitter's noticed it. I'm sure the hashtag me too, they noticed it. They brought it to everyone's attention. Now everyone's attacking the pastor. So now he's apologized. And according to CBS News, uh, Bishop Ellis apologizes for touching Ariana Grande at Aretha Franklin's funeral. Um, The bishop who officiated Aretha Franklin's funeral apologized Friday to Ariana Grande for how he touched her on stage and the joke that he made about her name. Bishop Charles Ellis III led Franklin's funeral and awkwardly greeted (laughs) Grande on stage when she performed, you make me feel like a natural woman. Oh, sorry. You make me feel like a natural woman. Uh, images of the moment showed Ellis's hand well above her waist and his fingers pressing against the side of her chest. Yeah, man. Um, yo, and I, and I think Pete Davis was there, too. Like Pete Davis was probably watching like, oh, God, like <laughs> if I could get up right now, I really would. But. And I think Big, yeah, Big Sean was in attendance too. So he's the ex, and he's watching this. And Pete David, the, this was this was just a fiasco waiting to happen. I feel like, and uh, it, it was just awkward. But I've always had that kind of vibe with most pastors, man. Like I, I really have, dude. Uh, church in general, 
You know, I, 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 I've been, I've been to great churches. Don't get me wrong, but I've been to some in the past, man, where it's like, you could tell the pastors were definitely checking out, you know, they're checking every, all the chicks out in the front row. Uh, and again, like I said, I'm, I'm a God fearing man, no doubt about it, but yo, this pastor, well, he went a little overboard, man. He definitely went a little overboard. And then on top of that, you got her, Bill Clinton is looking at her like a piece of meat. Just, oh, man, I tell you, if my wife wasn't here right now, I'd, oh, I don't know what I'd do. <laughs> like, that's the look he was giving. And, and there's so many memes out there right now that are just like Bill Clinton and talking about, like, I want I want a woman to look at me or I want my husband to look at me the way Bill Clinton looks at Ariana. Look, Bill Clinton has seen his fair share of, of Latin ladies. Believe me, he's seen his fair share, as has Jesse Jackson. I bet you Jesse Jackson was like the one to take her out on a date afterwards or something like that, man. Like, oh man, uh, let's see here. It would never. It was never my intention to touch any woman's breast. I don't know. I guess I put my arm around her. Maybe I crossed the border. Maybe I was too friendly or familiar. But again, I apologize. He then hugged all the performers at the, on stage during the Friday's eight-hour service. I hug all the female artists and male artists. LSA, yeah, but you didn't hug him like that, though. You didn't hug him like that, man. You're, 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 look, man, your fingers were caressing. I saw that, man. Everybody that was up, I shook their hands, hugged them all. And that was what we were about in the church. We're all about love. Yeah, and about making love, too, is what it looks like. You super freak. Um, oh, it says here, Ellis also uh, apologized to Grande for and her fans for in the, of the Hispanic community. For making a joke that made it that for making a joke and seeing her name on the program, thinking it was a new item on the Taco Bell menu. That's what that's what he said. That's a bunch of bullshit, man. <laughs> Aaron, Ariana Grande. Who thinks like that, man? Like, I think he made that joke to kind of sort of lighten the mood a little bit. And even and even when he said it, I was like, huh. um, nice try. Nice try, man. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure Ariana Grande won't be doing any more funerals anytime soon, especially when it comes to having creepy uh, creepy pastors that are out there who are <laughs> basically preying on her. And, you know, one because what she wore, she looked good. Like, I'm not going to lie. I've always thought Ariana Grande was a good-looking woman, man. But and I'm just looking at these images, man, of Bill Clinton checking her out. I mean, he he is... He's looking at her like just God, he's just like in awe, dude. And as she's singing, and it says, watch Bill Clinton look at Ariana Grande up and down as she sings at Aretha Franklin's funeral. Try not to throw up in your mouth. Bill Clinton is in awe. And up to oh, and then oh, so on stage you have Bill Clinton, Jesse Jackson, that fool, uh, what's that guy's name? Al Sharpton, and you got uh uh, what's that guy's name? Louis Louis Farrakhan. Louis Farrakhan's up there too, and they're just probably like Louis Farrakhan's like God Almighty. He's good. <laughs> that's not that's no a shot at the great Farrakhan, not, not whatsoever. I'm just kidding, but yeah, man, definitely an embarrassing moment, especially on live TV. I, I kind of saw that. I definitely saw that coming uh, with everything that. Uh, that happened at that funeral. Somebody actually asked me to talk about this, so I thought I'd give my take on it. But uh, long story short, Ariana, Ariana Grande, man, you're fine. You're, you're super fine. But 
like I said, I don't see her doing any more funerals, man. Or if she's going to do one, she's going to have to get away, step off stage when the pastor comes on. <laughs> so the Oakland Raiders decided that they were going to make a quote unquote splash trade. Well, with how they viewed the trade to be looked at. And for a while now, they had been going through some contract disputes with their uh, defensive end, star defensive end, mind you, uh, Khalil Mack, who to me is a perennial all-star in the NFL game today. I would personally say that he's at least top two. Sorry, excuse me. Top two, maybe top three in his position. Uh, Huge impact player. I mean, he's... Got the size, the speed, the strength, double teams. He can shed those. And the Oakland Raiders, who (laughs) for the past couple years now have struggled on defense, they now lose their their best player, (laughs) I would say, on the entire team. I mean, I think he, he hands down is he's a weapon on the defensive side, and I think that he's also a game changer. So what they did, what John Gruden decided to do, and which was rather than negotiate with the you know, which it's not his job to negotiate, but yeah, I felt like he did little to nothing to um to to try to alleviate whatever issues that Khalil Mack may or may not have had with the organization, and he just decided, hey, he okay for them to ship them off. Well, actually, technically, he did play a part in it because he is also, uh, I believe, he's also head of the. Um, uh, the, he's the director of, of personnel, if I'm not mistaken, because when he signed that contract with uh, Reggie McKenzie, I believe that they relinquished the rights for him to have uh, control over the personnel. So, yeah, so he did have something to do with that. So he decided that he was going to trade Khalil Mack to the Chicago Bears for two first round picks. And I think that. I don't know. I, at first, I said it was a kind of a lose lose, but. Clearly, you you now have a, I'd say the biggest defensive star, I would say, within the division. I mean, I'm just looking around the NFC North, and, I mean, I don't really see anybody who's as big of a star or, or a bigger star or equal to of being a star than, um, than one Khalil Mack. So, clearly, what it looks like now is you now have a new head coach, okay, with the new whole new offensive system. Hopefully, it's one that's adaptable for Mr. Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, you have a revamped offense now. You have a new tight end. You have uh, you still have Tariq Cohen. Uh, you have Jordan – is it Jordan Howard, I think is his name? You have Jordan Howard at running back. Uh, still a little spotty on the offensive line, but, I mean, hey, you can definitely improve with that. Um, you could find linemen. Nowadays, linemen, linemen come so deep now. I mean, you could find a lineman in the second round. I'm not sure what their uh, – what they're uh, where they're going to end up picking at in the draft, or what their picks are looking like, but uh, we'll spend time with the Oakland Raiders. So John Gruden is he? He? I mean, he's a good coach. He's. A, I, I feel like he's a good coach. I think he's a, he tends to make ballsy decisions, uh, just like this one here, where you trade away your all star. Oh, and then he also cut Martavis Bryant as well. But then you decide that you're going to keep Jordy Nelson. Now. I know that Martavis Bryant has his uh, his he has his off the field issues. I know that he I believe he also had a looming suspension over his head. So uh, there was also that maybe that's why he wanted to get rid of him. He felt as though he wasn't giving enough effort. I mean, allegedly, he wasn't giving enough effort. Um, 
I don't know what he's doing. I have no idea. I mean, the Raiders, you you at least had a guy who could impact the game in in a uh, Khalil Mack who can also play inside. He could also play outside. And I believe in college he played linebacker. He played middle linebacker. So, I mean, that just shows you how raw of a talent that this guy is, man. I mean, he's he's <laughs> You, you, there's no double teams that are gonna that are gonna take this guy. I mean, he can he can easily slice right through that. But now the Raiders, you get, they're gonna struggle in deep. now. And then you have people who are saying, well, you know, they can compensate for that in the draft next year. They can compensate for that. They have two first round picks. Look, man, I don't care. You, Khalil Mack is a one of a kind. He's a generational talent at his position. You, there's nothing. And I and I, I mean, you just look at the. College football today, you don't see anybody who even comes close. Maybe, maybe Joey Bosa's little brother, Nick Bosa, maybe he kind of sort of fits that mold. But I mean, he's not a, he's not a game breaker like this guy is. And then you look at the other side, Chicago Bears. They're a team that's there in the process of rebuilding, uh, and they need some help on that defense. So now on the defense, you have you have uh, you have Kyle Fuller at corner. Uh, you have Khalil Mack on the defensive line. And now you have rookie Roquan Smith, who, I mean, to me, I thought he was the better linebacker than the other dude uh, from Alabama. Rashad, I think it was Rashad Evans. I think it was his name. Man, I wasn't Rashad Evans. Babe, was it? I don't know. In, anyways, the, the linebacker that, that Tennessee picked up in the draft. So, I mean, you have that safety. I don't know who they have at safety. I don't, I, I, can't, I really can't remember, but I mean, they're, they're doing, the, they're making the right moves. Now I feel like though, they shouldn't have given up what they gave up because when you make a move like this for uh, for a team that's still kind of in the rebuilding mode. Oh, and then they also signed him to like a like a extension. Now he's the highest paid he's the highest paid defensive player in the league right now. Uh, I think it was like one hundred forty one million or something like that. He he got paid. Aaron Donald got paid too. He also got a, he also got himself a little back. So it's been a good week for uh, for defensive linemen who have finally gotten uh, the money that they feel that they deserve. Um, but I felt like when the Bears made this trade, it was kind of a move out of desperation. I mean, I, I, will they? does this mean that they're going to compete now? But they have they still have to compete in the NFC North. So I think now I have the Bears finishing last. I think they're going to end up finishing maybe second or third. Maybe they'll tie for second. I'm not really sure. Depends on how Mitchell Trubisky's uh, year goes. It depends on how Matt Nagy adjusts to being a head coach. So I think um, John Gruden's an idiot. I will say that, uh, <laughs> you know, he, he trusts himself and you got to like a guy who, who believes in himself and he can talk about in the media about how, you know, it was, it was a move that he, th- he, he may think it's the right move, but the Raiders are going to finish. They're going to probably go four and 12. I mean, if they're not, if they, they and like, just like the chiefs, but I think their defense is going to be worse than the chiefs. If they don't score, they're going to have to score at least 30 points a game if they're going to keep if they're going to win at least seven games, nine games. Because who like who are they going to do? Who do they have on defense? I don't they got Bruce Irvin. That's really it. And I think they got Gary on Conley, who didn't play last year due to injury. So I, I, I'm not sure how it's going to really pan out for them. I mean, I had them finishing fourth in the division anyway. But now it's getting worse, and Derek Carr is highly inconsistent. Marshawn Lynch is like 31 now, but you know he's got some tread on his tires. I mean, you got Doug Martin, but Doug Martin is pretty—he's injury prone. You got Jordy Nelson, who's also injury prone. I mean, you got Amari Cooper, who's had a case of the drops he's in the past. 
I could go on and on about some of the things that are, you know, I mean, they have solid guard and tackle. They have a solid center and a solid guard play, but that's really about it. Donald Penn, I'm not sure if he's still playing. He's old. He, you know, he's getting old. So I don't know, man. I, I don't know how it's going to fare on either side. Well, I know the Oakland Raiders are going to suck. The Bears are probably going to go. I, got, I have them going six and ten. I think this year now they're probably going to go about eight and eight or nine and seven. I could be wrong, but Khalil Mack is that much of a player. Is that impactful on the game? I feel like on the defensive side that, I mean, the Bears, even though they don't have the best corners, I mean, they're still going to be in a lot of games. And I, Wait, is it Prince of Mukamara that they got too? I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure they got Prince of Mukamara. Let me look real quick. Yeah, they got Prince of Mukamara and they got Kendall Fuller or Kyle Fuller. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's – not bad. Prince Mukamar's getting he's gotten torched. He's a first round pick in the twenty eleven draft. I mean, but he's he's getting up there in age. But um yeah, it should be an interesting NFL season. And I I definitely want to do more takes on any trades or things like that that happen. So we're just gonna leave it at that. But uh overall, uh I'd say it's a win lose. I think the Bears definitely won this trade. You get Khalil Mack on the upside, he's on the upswing of his career, he's only twenty seven. Hasn't even hit his peak yet. Meanwhile, the Oakland Raiders, you're going to have to rely on two two first-round picks. And your defensive line was already trash to begin with. Your secondary, trash. Your linebackers, not so good. Yeah, So, but he's got 10 years to figure this out. So we'll see what happens. Super, super sad news. Well, I, I, can't, I can't say it's super sad news, but... So the Philadelphia Eagles have come out, and I believe – I can't remember what the guy's name was that decided he was going to report on it. But So it looks like the Eagles are going to start Nick Foles for the NFL kickoff game on Thursday against the Atlanta Falcons at Lincoln Financial Field. And my first thought was, well, damn, you know, I really wanted to see Carson Wentz come out and play. I really wanted to see him uh, – See, you know, to see if he's had any progression in his throwing mechanics and things like that. But looks like we won't get to see that. There was one report that I saw that said that he wasn't going to be able to play until October. Then I was like, well, damn. Well, how long can Nick Foles keep this magic up? Then I thought to myself, Nick Foles is the Super Bowl MVP. I mean, you could say what you want. I mean, maybe he got lucky. But, dude, there was, those are some throws I feel like only he could make. Doug Peterson makes it very quarterback friendly for this guy, in order, you know, to play, to play within the system. Um, and he doesn't try to – and you, he can execute that really well. That's what I like about Nick Foles. I like that a lot. But still, it, it, it's kind of like, you know, I'm not afraid of the Falcons, but, I mean, they did get better. They got a lot better. They got really – I mean, Matt Ryan's really nothing to sneeze at. I mean, he's had a lot of trouble playing at Lincoln Financial Field in the past. Uh, but they've made some upgrades. I mean, they still got Jake Matthews at the tackle position. They have uh, Julio Jones, who's coming off of a, a pretty. I mean, he had a he had a, he had an okay year. I mean, it wasn't all that great, but you got him coming off his year. You got Muhammad Sanu still. You still oh, they drafted Calvin Ridley. They got the Alabama receiver. I mean, they're they're oh, and not to mention the tandem of running backs that they have with Devontae Freeman and uh, Tevin Coleman. Uh, I mean, they're, they're 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 looking pretty good, and I always remember that game in the divisional round where, I mean, the Eagles were. They was like they were fighting tooth and nail, and I believe the score was fifteen to twelve. 
and they were about one Julio Jones touchdown, even though his foot was out of bounds, away from losing that game. Um, but that was last year, so we'll talk about this year. Okay, Now, I would say that the keys to victory for the Philadelphia Eagles to win this game is they're going to have to continue to run the football. They can run the football on the Atlanta Falcons. And the way that their their base defense is set up, it's a it's a base 4-3, so four down linemen, three linebackers. They play it that style. Now, a lot of their um the personnel that they have in their front seven, they're pretty they're real quick. They're very fast. Uh they can get to the quarterback if you know, and if you're trying to run out the pocket, I mean they got you. And they do a really good job of swarming to the ball. I mean, they got they still got Vic Beasley. They got Tarkas McKinley. Uh, they got uh, – who's oh, well, they had Leroy Reynolds, but I think he's gone now. I think the Eagles got him. They got Derek Jones or – I can't remember his last – I think it's Derek Jones. Uh, what's that other guy's name, man? Um, uh, what's that other linebacker? I think, I think it's Derek Jones. He's the middle linebacker, number 45. I think that may be him. I could be wrong if so. Please correct me. Uh, Keanu Neal, Ricardo Allen, Desmond Trufant, and Robert Alford. Um, all guys, their, their defense is set up to, I think, to defend the pass because they play the pass really well, but they can't defend the run because they're pretty undersized. Everybody on that defense is undersized. Well, everybody in the front seven is undersized, so they're going to have to run the football, run the football early. Um, Nick Foles is going to have to make all the right reads when asked. If he's going to utilize the, if Doug, when Doug utilizes the RPO. And that's another thing. Like, I, I've seen people, somebody came up to me and they said, well, I mean, Nick Foles sucks, but look at how he played. Like, do you guys not realize that this offense that they ran was so bland and just so vanilla? I mean, it, it there, there weren't any reads. Like, Nick Foles was just throwing the ball just to throw the ball. But when he's hot, that's the thing. When Nick Foles is hot, he's hot. He's not missing. Okay. He's not going to miss. And that's what helps with the RPO and establishing the run game because that gives the quarterback options on as far as what he's going to do. And Nick Foles isn't just going to take off and run. He, may, I mean, he may in the end zone or if they're, if they're near the red zone, but, I mean, he's not going to do that. But that gives him – he depending on whoever that read is, you know, it, it could change every play. The read could be the safety or the read could be the linebacker. The read could be the tackle. You know, he can do that. And then what happens is it creates a domino effect. So if the, if the tackle decides to bite on the play – well then that will then that will enable him to make the read to either the tight end or to the Z receiver or whoever's in the in the flat. I mean, Doug Peterson to me is a he's an innovative coach. I mean, and Chip Kelly kind of sort of and they also they run an up tempo, so they're gonna run a very up tempo offense, which is gonna help keep the defense off balance. And Atlanta doesn't I mean Atlanta can keep up on the defensive and they really can. And oh damn, I forgot. Uh Alshon Jeffrey's not playing this game either. So that means Mac Hollins is going to have to step in and play in that role. So at receiver, you got Mike, you got um, Mike Wallace, Mac Hollins, uh, Nelson Aguilar. And I believe, I'm not sure if DeAndre Carter is going to play in this game, but then you have Zach Ertz. And oh, not to mention, dude, they have the, they have, we have a hell of a tandem at the tight end position. We got Zach Ertz and we got Dallas Goddard. I'm saying we as if I play for him. They have Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard. The offensive line is still intact. I mean, <laughs> Super Bowl winning offensive line minus Jason Peters, but he's a pro bowler. He's a Hall of Famer, as is Lane Johnson. Uh, Jason Kelsey, superb. I mean, he's awesome. 
Uh, Steven Wisniewski, I mean, he does his thing as well. And we have Brandon Brooks, who is a pro bowler as well as a Super Bowl champion. This ha- this game, to me, it's pretty simple. I think that you get to Matt Ryan early. I didn't even get a chance to get onto the defense. I mean, defensively, we had – here we go again with that we. They have um, – I mean, they got – they're just so deep at that position. I mean, you got Brandon Graham. You have Fletcher Cox. Haloti Nada, uh, Timmy Jernick is not playing, but uh, then you have Derek Barnett, right? You get, then you have Michael Bennett. You got, I mean, it's just a deep rotation of what they have. It's 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 and it's insane to me. Linebackers a little bit thin. Um, what's that guy's name? Nigel Bradham. He'll be out the first game, so I think the, the linebacking core may take a hit. But they just picked up DJ Alexander from off waivers. Uh, from the Seattle Seahawks, but I think they're going to use them more for special teams. Uh, in the corner, I mean, I, I want to see how the defensive backs play. I want to see how Sidney Jones plays. I want to see how Jalen Mills plays, you know, because he had to guard Julio. You know, Ronald Darby, I think he's going to have a big season this year. Malcolm Jenkins, they're going to put him in that linebacker spot, uh, kind of sort of that weak side spot. Because the, the Eagles only play a four – they basically play a four-two-five, or, you know, a, a, a nickel. They play a nickel package. Uh, I don't think I'm worried about. I'm really worried, man. Is if uh, Rodney McLeod doesn't get his shit together, man. I, I, I need him to not be trash. Like he can't afford to be trash. Like he's a good player. Don't get me wrong, but I, I can't afford for him to be trash. And quite frankly, I mean, I need him to take better angles too. You know, I, I would say if I could pick a weak a weak link on the defense, I think it'd be him. I mean, he 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 messes up sometimes. Now I'm not saying he's a bad player. But he's definitely the weak link on the a weak link on the defense. So um, I guess I got to get into my prediction now, as far as who I think is going to win the game. I'm going to pick. Given Nick Foles doesn't screw up, given um, given that nobody fumbles, because keep oh not to mention we got Jay Ajayi. I mean they got why did they keep Window Smallwood? I don't know, but they got a Jay Ajayi, Corey Clement. Darren Sproles is coming back. And uh, what's that fool's name? I just said Wendell Smallwood. Um, So I'm looking for the Eagles to win this game, and I think it's going to be a close one. I think they may start off before the half. They may be down. They'll probably be down 10 points. Maybe. Maybe. Just depends. Uh, It'll look like they're going to lose the game, but I think the Eagles will come out on top at the very end, and I'm going to pick the Eagles to win against the Atlanta Falcons for the home opener at Lincoln Financial Field. The final score will be Eagles 27, Falcons 24. I think that's that's what I'm going to go with. I mean, everything points in the in the direction of the Eagles, so they should win. I think the, the defensive line is going to overtake the, uh, the Falcons' offensive line. Falcons' defensive line isn't big enough. I mean, they have – we have – we here we go again – the Eagles have very big, stout, and athletic linemen, so I think that they're going to take over, give Nick Foles some time. Uh, I'm looking for the tight ends to be used to be utilized. So if they got any fantasy people out there, if you got Zach Ertz, if you got Zach Ertz out there, or Dallas Goddard, you may you may want to start them. <laughs> you might want to start them, and you also may want to start the Eagles defense for any any fantasy people out there. Um, I think. Yeah, yeah, I would say that. Don't start Julio Jones. <laughs> but, yeah, got the Eagles winning 24-7. Or 24, sorry, 27-24. Birds. Fly, Eagles, fly.